Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Series. This is number four, if you can believe it. October has just gone by in a flash. So many things going on in October. But we've been talking about compassion in this series. This is our fourth Sunday talking about missions, about compassion, about having a heart for people, really seeing people like Jesus did. One of my goals in this series, something that God laid on my heart early on, was I not only wanted to talk about compassion, I wanted to do it too. I wanted to present to you a few ways that we could be practically involved in our community. Now, like Pastor Jody said, we have been out in the community this month like crazy, um, but there's, there's lots that we can be doing together. There's lots going on in this community, and it's been one of our discipleship goals around here for a while, help people find Jesus move forward in their faith, and do something for God. I believe each and every one of us has been gifted, gifts straight from heaven, talents straight from heaven. You can do something for God in this world, and that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into it, I want to invite Christina Gray up with me. You may have noticed the lobby looks a little different this morning. They are out there giving away free specialty coffee. I had a vanilla maple something. That was just delicious this morning. So, Christina, would you just tell us why you're out there today, um, what you guys do yeah. in our community? Okay. So, um, we're House of Bread and Temple Court Community or Temple Court Coffee. And our goal, the short, short version, is to put a coffee house and community center in Upper Adams County and be able to minister, do programs, do a climbing wall um, have recovery programs in Upper Adams County where there's not a lot to do, honestly. So rural up yeah, there, right? Yeah, apple orchards, that's what we do. <laughs> and um, so just to give you, I, I could list here a lot of things that we do or need or how you can be involved. I just want to give you this. If we were worshiping, God was like, just give them this. So this is what I'm going to give you. Um, we've done a lot, like as far as an update, we were here the beginning of June. But what God has really put on our heart is to go be Jesus to the community, right? Um, when Moses encountered Yahweh in the desert, we all want to encounter God, right? We all want to encounter God. Moses wasn't looking for God. And when people walk into this coffee house or community center to do rock climbing, they're not going to be looking for God, but they're going to encounter him. Um, and Jesus was... God. He was the one true you read Colossians. The very first, it's right off the bat, he says, he's God. He's everything. He's the invisible God in the visible. And that's what we want to bring to our community. And one thing we've done recently, we've done a lot, and I'm not going to stand here and list it, list it but that really stuck out to me was um, we could have taken this coffee cart and all our coffee and fundraised for this at a fair we were most recently going to be at. But we made these t-shirts. Reese, stand up a minute. Reese, stand up. Come up here so people can read your t-shirt while I talk about it. This is this is um, Reese. He, the last time he was here, I think he was like seven. But oh, we used to come to church here for 15 years. Turn around and see. Ask the question on the front. It says, have you met my transformer? And we just shamelessly stole the transformer font. And then... Um, on the back it says Yahweh, which means I am, right? 
Yahweh transforming lives since the beginning of time. So um, when we go out in our community, we wore these shirts. And um, thank you, Reese. And, and we decided in this big community fair where we've sold things before, you know, with other churches. And I've done ministry before. Um, one of the guys in our leadership team always just does the trash. Like ahead of time, he puts all these trash barrels out and I've never done it. And you ride this wagon around and you just like keep your balance and pick up, you just run like maniacs and pick up the trash. It's amazing. A big street fair like this, um, how much trash people make, you know, there's all those vendors and stuff. And so we're just, we're wearing these transformer shirts, right? And just running and grabbing the trash, smashing it down, throwing it on this wagon and filling up the trash cans and... Um, I didn't know this, but someone the day before um, happened to overhear a conversation and uh, said, I know there's a community group around here, you know, they're, they're in Adams County. And, and this guy said, well, I'm not a believer, I'm actually an atheist, but I just want to be involved. And he happened to show up at this parade and he saw our shirts and he said, you guys this powerfully spoke to, to who the person of God is to this man to see we were picking up trash. He's like, that's what I want to do. And that's what Jesus did. He prepped ahead of, ahead of time for the mess we're going to make, and he made a way to clean it up. And, and this guy ended up coming out at 10 o'clock, and he doesn't have a car. He walked from the community he lives in to show up there at 10 o'clock so he could be part of the team that picked up trash. And um, it's just stuff like that, just being Jesus to the community. No, I don't have a big story of that guy, you know, is no longer an atheist and now he's saved. But he was like, this is something. Now, and it was trash. So part of our mission is just to be Jesus to the community. And we're going to use coffee as that tool and to help fund that. So that's who we are. And that's what we're doing. If you want to help in any way or be involved, um, two things on New Year's Eve. Uh, we have a coffee tasting. We'll help you stay up all night. It's in York Springs. Our climbing wall will be open. Um, come taste our coffee. The other thing is, as we move forward, we have two nonprofits. One's a church. It meets on Saturday nights. Um, it's really just a group of people. It's our it's our pep rally to go reach our community. And we just worship on Saturday nights. And then um, and then our nonprofit coffee roaster is TCC, and that's going to be the community center. A need we have right now is an accountant or someone that knows taxes. Um, we've gotten this far, but honestly, we're just being obedient, and we don't know what we're doing. So before we go to jail, if any of you out there has those skills or knows someone that has those skills, that's a need that we have. But we'd love to, if, if you have any questions, come talk to us. We roast our own coffee. We actually open flame pan roast it. We have smoked coffee out there. If you want to know how to ro roast coffee, if you'd love to learn how to use a latte machine and make a latte, um, we'll make time for that. Part of our ministry is, you know, just coming alongside people, mentoring them, discipling, discipling them through the skills that we have. Thank you so much. Yeah, give a round of applause. This is an awesome ministry, and this is the kind of thing that I want to present to you throughout the end of this series. I, I want you to be able to see that there are ways to serve, not just here. And we should serve each other, right? We should be involved in the church, give back to each other, but then also to go out from here. 
so many people outside these walls need Jesus. And it's our responsibility to tell them. And that's actually what we're getting into today. Don't forget to get some coffee after service. It really is delicious. And buy some of the bags and support them in that for sure. So lots of ways that we can give back in our community. We have so many organizations out there, great organizations that you can volunteer for and give back. So many ways that you can help. But sometimes, I think actually a lot of times, Christians think that it's our, our duty to volunteer and that's it. Right? Like that outside of that volunteer slot in kids ministry, your annual food drive contribution, we're off the hook, right? Do what other people tell us to, just uh, fill a spot, you know, just do what they tell me and then I'm good. I'm off the hook for the rest of the month <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, if we give to whatever special project the church is asking for at the time, we don't have to do anything selfless for the rest of the month. And maybe we wouldn't say that out loud. That's sort of the way we act. I don't think this series would be complete without talking about one of the most quoted parables Jesus ever taught, the Good Samaritan. I want to read this passage to you today, but I want to read you the whole thing. Uh, this parable was actually the answer to a question that a religious expert was asking. It wasn't a genuine question. Uh, he was trying to prove something. He was testing Jesus. He, he, it wasn't a genuine question in that he actually wanted an answer. But in true Jesus form, he got one. Okay? So we're going to read Luke 10, verse 25, this, this passage, and I think you see what I mean. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now remember, he's a teacher. He's a, an expert, I'm sorry, in religious law. <laughs> he knows a thing or two about the answer to this question, okay? So Jesus replies, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Answering a question with a question. Did you know Jesus started that trend? He was the, the expert in answering a question with a question. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus told him, do this, and you will live. Now, this could have been the end to this conversation. Hey, this guy had asked a silly question he already knew the answer to. Jesus sort of makes that clear without demeaning him at, at all, really. The, in the genius of Jesus. I mean, just the way that he crafts conversations throughout the Gospels is masterful. I love reading them. But it didn't end there. In fact, the man, verse 29, wanted to justify his actions. So he continued, and he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. The temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. 
this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. Remember, all of this is an answer to a question. And yet, here again, Jesus is answering it with another question. (laughs) Right? Who would you say is a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, I want to give you some background here, first of all, because we have trouble with the word Samaritan because to us, because of this parable, the word is flip-flopped. Okay, back then, to this listener, Samaritan, a Samaritan was the bad guy. He did not, the listener, the expert in religious law, did not have a high opinion of Samaritans. Okay, to this guy Jesus was talking to, Samaritan was the enemy. But they they thought they were friends in a way. Uh, the Samaritans to Jewish people were, were sort of like defectors. They called themselves Jewish, but they weren't. They claimed the same God, but then didn't follow the rules. To an expert in religious law, they were worse than non-believers. They should have known better, but they don't. The word doesn't mean the same thing to us today, so it's sort of hard for us to grasp this whole concept. I heard a theologian recently say that we shouldn't be teaching non-theologians to ask the Bible, what does this mean to you? It's so often we teach how to, how to do Bible study and ask of the word, what does this mean to you? What is God saying to you from this passage? But the average Bible reader doesn't know what it was saying to them at the time. And so how could we possibly know what it means to us? Right? We should be asking, what did this mean to them? What did this mean to the original reader? There are so many resources out there to find good information on what a passage means. I have a couple of ladies right now from Bold and Brave or from my home group that will occasionally text me the best Bible questions. <laughs> and they always feel like they're bugging me, like, I'm so sorry, I just, I know you're busy, but I, I, no, they're my favorite texts to get of all time. I love helping get the answers to these questions because they usually require really in-depth answers. <laughs> they don't ask easy questions. Um, and sometimes I have to go looking for just the right article to send them or urge somebody else to help me explain what the answer is. But I love them. They're asking the right questions. I teach in my women's group uh, every Wednesday that I get a chance how to ask the right questions of the Bible. We can't just be reading it at face value, putting it back on the shelf where it can collect dust, right? Something that should be open to us always, asking questions of it. But we have to be asking the right questions. The right question here is, what did this parable mean to the listener? I've seen good people saved at this church, found their spouses at their church, got their life right, got free from addiction at this church, get bad theology from elsewhere, and go way off the deep end with some really detrimental beliefs. You have to ask the right questions. When reading the Bible, the correct question is, what did this mean to them? So what was Jesus saying in this parable to this expert in religion? What would it have meant to him then, once we understand that, we can know what it would mean to us today. This expert saw Samaritans, honestly, almost like we see Pharisees today. They're kind of flip-flopped because of, of reading the word. Uh, they saw them, Jews saw Samaritans almost like we see cults today. I, I would imagine, anyway, we, we see them as sort of backwards, deceived, causing the rest of us believers to have a bad reputation, right? Right? 
kind of how they saw Samaritans then. So Jesus, saying that a Samaritan came along and helped this man, he he was confronting Jewish racism, classism, pride. He was confronting even his very religion by going straight for the priests, right? A priest came along first, and then a temple assistant came along, and neither of them helped the man. Jesus went straight for it. He wasn't shy about confronting this man a little bit. He was calling out the hypocrisy in the priests how religion and status had become their God instead of God himself. And he was showing them how treating people that way is making God seem. He did all of that in one very short parable. Jesus teaches an upside-down kingdom, one where the unclean, the Samaritan, is closer to the wishes of God than the priest. Or the temple assistants. He, he came to almost turn religion on its head to fulfill it completely and give us a better way to love each other and a better way to love God. You know, religion tends to pass by the, the ugly, the, the bad parts of this world. Religion passes it by. It, it keeps itself clean. Jesus is saying this directly with saying the priests passed him by. The temple assistant passed him by, but the Samaritan, he stopped and he looked. Now, this is a couple, there are a couple of things the Samaritan does right that Jesus points out. First of all, he looked. Jesus not only answered this man's question with a question, but then he also flips the question around completely. The man was asking, who is my neighbor? As in, who is my responsibility? I love your neighbor as yourself, but who is my neighbor? Right? He almost wanted to be off the hook with some particular people, probably with the Samaritans, which is why Jesus confronted that. Who is my responsibility? Who is my neighbor? And instead, Jesus tells him how to be a good neighbor. How to be the kind of person who takes responsibility for others, as we've already talked about in this series, right? Even someone they consider to be lesser, even someone who makes them unclean just by being around them, who's teaching this man how to be a neighbor instead of who was and who was not his neighbor. The man was asking the wrong question. Who is my neighbor is a selfish question. How do I be a good neighbor is the question he should have been asking. The selfless question. Jesus, in in his upside-down kingdom, the way he flipped everything, he teaches us the difference between selfishness and selflessness and what they mean in his kingdom. Being inward versus being outward. Jesus taught us the difference between these ideas. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, On the parable of the Good Samaritan, I imagine that the first question the priest and Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But... By the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Jesus taught us to ask an opposite question. Not what's going to happen to me, but what will happen to him. William Cavanaugh said, The best kind of care that the church has provided for the world is when it's out of power and it's not worried about ruling, but more worried about being on the ground taking care of the poor and the vulnerable. I sometimes worry that Christians in America today are so worried about controlling the culture, 
about holding everything so tightly, about staying in power and, and maintaining the majority so we don't get made fun of, that we're not worrying at all about helping the ones that our culture has discarded. Turn their backs on, left for dead in a ditch. We're more worried about holding on to power than using our power for good. I was in a, a couple stores yesterday and uh, bought myself one of those little ceramic Christmas trees. See you know what I'm talking about? Like the vintage cute little ones. And it hit me as I'm carrying this <laughs> ceramic tree through the store. Tomorrow, guys, it's basically Christmas. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, I already, I already bought a Christmas thing this year. And you all know that you've already probably seen in like Walmart, there's Christmas stuff everywhere already. It's not, today is October 31st. I mean, every store is going to be decked out tomorrow, November 1st. We're we're entering into one, uh, the one time of year when we all have that Christmas spirit. Do you remember us talking about this last year? The Christmas Spirit, we all want to give back and we want to make sure that everyone has what they need for Christmas Day and Christmas morning and Christmas dinner. We want to make sure nobody's missing out, nobody's left out. Why aren't we like that every day? Why can we not always have the Christmas spirit every day of the year? And I don't mean you have to listen to Jingle Bells 47 times, Aaron Pringle. He hates Christmas music (laughs) before like December 24th, right? But it does mean we have to have that spirit, that generous, compassionate spirit, willing to go out of our way to make sure the people around us have what they need, willing to sacrifice some of our own money, our own time, our own peace, our own comfort. Because having the intent to help is good, but acting on that intent is much better. It hit me after studying this that If the priest had seen the robbery, the bandits beating him up, throwing him in a ditch, they probably would have helped, right? When we see something evil in the world happening, we're more likely to jump in and and help. Not everyone, sure. Some people will hide or, or run the opposite direction, but some of us are likely to jump in and help. Scream for help, call 911, pull out your mace, something, right? We're likely to help, but when we don't see it happening, when we only see the effects of it, we're more likely to assume it's none of our business than to help. Or we're more likely to assume it's just a, a drunk in the ditch. It, it's a bum. He, he deserves to be there. I don't know what we think, but we, we don't often help when we don't see the evil happening. But we talked about Paul lying in a ditch just a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of the different series, right? Do you remember why he was there? He preached the gospel preaching the good news, and that's what landed him in a ditch. Did he deserve to be there? But why do we assume that we know? Why do we assume that a drunk deserves to be in the ditch anyway? Right? That they're undeserving of our help. Because we didn't see the evil happening. I don't want to pass by this point today without nailing this home, because we have to look Sometimes we put ourselves in these little Christian bubbles, surrounded by Christians, Christian music, Christian people, Christian everything. We don't see the pain people go through. We inoculate ourselves to it. We're not out in the world enough 
Oh, we don't see the evil happening, so it must not be happening. Addicts almost always have trauma in their past. Emotional, physical, sexual, verbal, almost every single addict has trauma of some sort in their past. The homeless are the same. Bad kids, angry, angsty teenagers. The people we see as problems in this world have trauma, heavy trauma in their past. Evil has been done to them in most cases. But because we don't see it happening, we assume it's not our responsibility. We used to always say in kids' ministry that kids have grown-up problems. They just don't have grown-up tools to handle them. Kids are carrying heavy things, too. Teenagers, grown-up problems. But when we look, when we choose to see, when we open our eyes to the hurting in this world, we can look at people with compassion. Jesus looked at people. Here he's teaching us to look at people. Samaritan looked at him with compassion. When we see what's happening, we're more likely to help take responsibility. Sometimes all you have to do to feel compassion is to look. Choose to look. Choose to see the bad in this world. And maybe then you'll be more moved to do something about it. See it. Take responsibility. The Samaritan looked and he took responsibility for this man took responsibility. We talked about this already in the series. It's a theme that keeps coming up in almost every sermon so far. Taking responsibility. Not just for yourself, but for the people around you. If Jesus hadn't taken responsibility for us, I don't know where I'd be today. (laughs) He hadn't taken my sin on himself on that cross. I'd be a completely different person today. It's not by anything I've done. It's by what he did. He did that. He took responsibility, and he didn't expect anything in return. In Jesus' parable, we see the good Samaritan look. He takes responsibility, and he helps. No expectation of anything in return. That's what reckless love does. I was saying that song, reckless love. It's love that doesn't think of itself. It's reckless in that it doesn't ask for anything in return. It gives, and it gives, and it gives. That's the kind of love God has for us. It's not thinking of himself. Most of the love that we give is actually transactional. Now that I've said it, you'll see it a whole lot more. We, we tend to give love to get love. Friendships, coworker relationships. Even as parents, right, we live for the snuggle, the, the little smile, the sweet word. It's a return of sorts. It's really hard to do when it's not reciprocated in some sense. And I hear people say all the time, well, they don't reach out to me anymore, so I'm not reaching out to them. I'm not going to be that friend. It's transactional. When you give love, you expect to get something. In return, it's rare to actually truly see love given without any hope of return. I don't mean kindness. I mean love, truly vulnerable, sacrificial, costs you something love. How often do we give that? Jesus gave that for each and every one of us, and it changed the world. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that kind of love. It's rare in this world. This, 
This isn't just a, a story telling us to be nice rather than nasty to people in need. Not even a, a story encouraging us just to not pass by on the other side. It is, after all, a story told by a singularly cunning and surprising storyteller who regularly leaves his listeners with a lot of difficult questions about who they're supposed to identify with. It's a, it's a story like so many of Jesus's other stories meant to make us ask ourselves some difficult questions. Instead of asking ourselves, where does my obligation start and stop? Oh, charity begins at home. Surely I can't have the same sort of obligation to a single mother in South Sudan as I have to my sister-in-law or, or even my local food bank, right? What Jesus' story does is to refuse to offer any simple criteria for generalizing about where love starts and stops. He doesn't answer that question directly. Just as elsewhere, he refuses to offer criteria for when it's all right to stop trying to forgive or to be reconciled to others. He directs his listeners' attention to two things. What may get in the way of love? Or give us an excuse for avoiding it. And our need to think about where and who we expect to receive love from. As well as how we are supposed to exercise it. The story of the Good Samaritan teaches not who to love, but how. Jesus doesn't answer the man's question directly because he's asking the wrong question. Not who to love, but how. The one issue we have in today's culture that Jesus' time didn't have was that we can see so much more, right? Through media, social media, we, we can see problems halfway across the world. Jesus is teaching us here to see people that we encounter as our neighbor. People we come across in our own communities and in our own towns, our own paths of influence. If we could just stop and look at each other, take responsibility for each other and love without asking for return. Selflessness takes practice. It takes action. And people always say, it's always one of my pet peeves in kids ministry, actually. People say, kids are so innocent, I just love them. Babies are just so innocent. <laughs> well, they may be, may be innocent, but they are the most selfish human beings on planet Earth. Right? They only care about themselves. They literally don't care about even the one person on Earth that's meant to sustain them, feed them, give them everything they need. Spoken like a mother. Right? Selfishness is born in us. It's how we survive. It's what it takes to survive infancy, actually. But as we grow, we have to put away childish things. We have to practice how to be selfless. We have to grow out of it. Grow up, right? We have to mature into something better. Selflessness takes work. It takes practice. Jesus taught us a better way. So who are you in this story? Are you the priest walking right by the wounded? Or are you the Samaritan stopping to help? Which do you honestly think you would be? A lot of us, <laughs> a lot of us think we would be the good guy in this story. But all kind of things get in the way. We have this anxiety that wells up in us when God tells us to do something. A random person in the grocery store, the Holy Spirit whispers, hey, go talk to them. 
help them, tell them Jesus loves them. We're like, nope. Right? Anxiety, fear, maybe it's just a laziness, a, a tiredness, a busyness. We're all so busy. A lot of us don't stop to look. If we do, a lot of us don't take responsibility. And even if we do that, we expect something in return for it. But I don't think, actually, that either of those were the person Jesus meant for us to identify with in this story. I think he meant for us to see that we're not the priest walking by or the Samaritan stopping to help. We're the guy in the ditch. Each... And every one of us have been left in the ditch by this world. Our own selfish and sinful natures have put us there. Other people's selfish and sinful natures put us there. So maybe it's just life. It's, it's grief. It's loss. But then Jesus came. And as the band comes, I want to explain, Jesus came walking along, and he sees you in the ditch. He came for you. He came for me. He lifted us out of that ditch. He carried us to safety. He bandaged us up and paid for us with his own blood. And if you're the one in the ditch, how glad are you that he came? That he came walking by to save you. Wouldn't you want a love like that if you're the one in the ditch? That's who Jesus is calling us to be. He came into this dirty, selfish, messed up world from a perfect one. He didn't see his godhood as something to cling to. He left it behind and he came to save us. He got in the ditch with us and carried us out. He taught us a better way, a better way to love people. It's not just to hide away in our religion, hide away in our temples, to rush to the next church thing, the next volunteer thing, the next ministry thing, but to stop and look at people. Really look at them. Look at them with compassion. Take responsibility. with a little bitterness, a little edge to us. Taught us how to take care of ourselves. But even though you can't do everything for everyone, you can do something for someone. And that something can mean everything. We all grow up wanting to change the world. This is how we do it. I think it begins with how we see ourselves. We see ourselves consistently as the one that Jesus rescued. Not as the priest walking by, too good to look in the ditch, too busy to see, to look at people with compassion. We have to see ourselves as the one that Jesus rescued. And because we see ourselves that way, we also see a world in need of rescuing by Jesus. It's this direction rather than 
a destination rather than a concrete answer. Jesus avoids that concrete answer for a reason. It's meant to be a lifestyle, a direction that we walk in, not a destination. That's what will change things. Our heart position, a willingness to look, truly see people, to love them right where they are, even in the ditch, not demand that people get their lives together before they come into church. But to jump in the ditch with them and help them out. Father, today, we ask that you would truly change our hearts. We ask that you would get rid of all pride all selfishness, all the ways that we've deceived ourselves into thinking we're we're too busy, we're too good, we're too whatever to help our world in need. Help us repent. Help us confront those excuses. There's always excuses that come up, right? I'm, I'm too busy, I'm too whatever. Help us confront those. Let's surrender our hearts to you. Help us to honestly, truly feel the gratitude of what you did for us. That I too would be in that ditch if not for you. It's nothing that I've done. I'm not receiving the blessings of God because of who I am, but because of who he is, because of what he did on that cross. I get to have eternal life. I get to have right relationship with God the Father. I get to have an intimate relationship with Him because of what Jesus did. God, help me remember that always. Help me look at people with compassion. Help me see a better way. God, help your kingdom to come through me. Help me to take responsibility for the mission that you've given us love the Lord our God with all our heart, love our neighbor as ourselves, to go into all the world and preach the good news. God is real. God is good. And he loves us so much. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, maybe today you want to say, I want to respond to the good news. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to let him come in and Forgive me of the past. Make me a new creation in him. Give me a fresh start. If that's you today, it's very simple. Jesus came to make it simple. He died on the cross taking all of your sin and shame. He's giving you a fresh start. He's already forgiven you. All you have to do is accept it today. You say, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness in my life. Thank you for it. And I'm going to choose to live your way, to follow you in all that I do from today forward. That's you and you want to pray that prayer today. If you want to give your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand if you're here in the room? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just raise your hand up high. I want to give my life to Jesus. Keep that hand up just for a moment as an usher is going to come give you a small card and help you with that decision. If you're watching online today and you want to give your life to Jesus, text the number on the screen or type, I'm in, in the comments. I'm into following Jesus. I'm into giving my life to him.
awesome. Thank you, Jesus. But maybe today you're reevaluating some things. Uh, the Holy Spirit is impressing on you some conviction, some, some inner turmoil going on. Maybe there's something God has called you to do, but you haven't done it yet, or someone God has called you to love. Today you're realizing you have some things to do. God's giving you a to-do list in your head because, like I said last week, Jesus almost always pairs the spiritual with the practical. He may be doing something in your soul, stirring something within you, but it probably relates to some very real-world, practical things you got to do. Remember, find Jesus, move forward in your faith, and do something for God. Fill a need. Be a a shoulder to cry on. Check in with somebody. Ask how they're doing this week. And actually ask. Look at them when you ask. Wait for an answer. Not just, I'm good. Move on. Hey, how you doing? I know you've been through a lot lately. Doing okay? Anything I can do for you? Can I help? Can I pray for you? Maybe it's as simple as that. God's calling you to do something today. Would you just raise your hand up if that's you? God's calling me to do something specific. I'd like to pray for you today. Father, we thank you and we praise you. I just call out in Jesus' name the gifts and the talents in this room, in this church, and the people watching online or or listening to this online. I call out their gifts and talents, God. Stir something up within them, a passion for people like never before, that they would truly begin to look at people with fresh eyes, with your eyes. God, help us to pray the very bold, scary prayer that you would truly break our hearts for what breaks yours. That we'd be able to see our world like you see them. God, let your kingdom come through us. Let us be your hands and feet on this earth, ministering to the broken, the the hurting, the poor in spirit, people that are ready to receive from you. God, help us see those people. Help us minister to them. We pray your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Would you all stand? Let's worship together today.
Thank you, Lord. Nothing compares like your love. Let's give the band and Pastor Candace a round of applause for being used. There was a man walking on the beach, and he came up to thousands of starfish laying on the beach, stranded. The waves had brought him in. And there was a little boy picking one up, throwing it in, pick another one up, throw it in. Could have been there a week and never would have gotten them all in. And the man called out to the little boy and said, son, why are you doing that? You can never get them all in the ocean. What does it matter? And as the boy picked up another one and threw it in, he said, it matters to this one. So God wants to put in our hearts, and that uh, message pricks me because I get comfortable, have my goals, my, my agenda, and I want to be comfortable. God's saying, go talk to this person or go minister. So if you find that you're the same, as, as Pastor Candace prayed, ask God to change your heart and have a heart of compassion and minister to those he wants. So we can't save everybody, but we can change one life through his grace. Amen? All right. We have uh, coffee out there, the Temple Court community. Enjoy that. Buy some. There's some they want to build a, uh, or, or had the community centered up in Aspers to reach out to uh, people that are in need, to give young folks something to do. Some of it also goes to the Rwanda, the Bali people, where they're reaching out to. So you, there's a way that you can uh, expand beyond us and enjoy coffee at the same time. There will be prayer team is up here to pray. If you want help for prayer, uh, somebody to agree with you, please come up. And if not, we'll see you next week. Let's pray as we leave. Father God, we thank you for the time that we can worship today. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you for your goodness and your love. Change us, Father, that it's not just a creed. It's just not something we hold to or we agree to, a point of opinion. But we are like the Good Samaritan where we stop and reach out and help someone attuned to you, hearing you, and looking for someone to minister to. Give us that grace as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Love you all. We'll see you next week. And bring a friend.